Hey, the week that this drops is a special week, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. But we have special guest Lisa Jernigan on this week, and she talks about the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. And mothers, if there's anybody on this planet that does peacemaking well, it's you. So listen now. Lisa Jernigan, thank you so much for joining us on the No Gray Areas podcast. We've known each other for how many years now? Oh my gosh, too many, right? I know. But not enough. <laughs> yeah, yes. Right? I like that. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. yeah. So we went, We go back to, um, I was working with anti-human trafficking. We had just made a documentary. It was starting to get national exposure. And then we met you. You and a friend were actually going into strip clubs mm -hmm. and sitting down with the, the women who right. were stripping and helping them just understand their dignity and understanding who they are and in kind Christ of their identity, and, and, right? And their yeah. identity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. That's how we met. True identity. Yeah. That's how we met. Cause you were in that space. Yeah. How did you, I, I, I don't actually remember this part of your story. How did you guys end up doing that? You know, it was from an invitation from a friend, a gal that knew kind of, we were in the, we had hard for women and women in different seasons of life. Mm -hmm. And there was this group that was doing um, strip club ministry. I had never mm -hmm. heard of it. Mm -hmm. And um, a gal that was in our church said, she knew that I liked edgy things, right? She goes, yeah. I think this would be something you might be interested in. Yeah. And so she invited me and for sure I was. Because yeah. then I just saw these women with a different heart, yeah. right? Well, we're gonna get into what you're doing now in a little bit, but, but you just mentioned that, that this friend knew that you liked edgy things. Yeah. That is very true. I've known you for 15 years now. It's like, whatever you get into, like, it's edgy stuff. Yeah. It's, it's so, have you always been like that? Or what, did you grow up that way? You know what? I would say no. If somebody knew me earlier, I think it's always been a part of me. And then I got to a point that I let it out more. I started letting me be me kind of thing, yeah. you know, because I, I've been in ministry my whole life. Yeah. And my whole adult life, I've been a pastor's wife. Yeah. But I've never fit that role. Yeah. But I also had to conform to that role in some things sometimes. And so I think over time I gave myself a little more permission to let that that part out of me. Oh man, Lisa, we could do this whole podcast on what you just said, where where you said you 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 didn't fit that role. I'm sure I don't care what the right. audience, I don't care what the role is, they probably feel at times like I don't fit this role. But you actually have to at times conform to it. Right. So you were having to walk through that now, and you've done that for decades, right? Right. Because you've been a pastor's okay, wife decades. for decades. Okay, decades. We have to... Well, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. This is All right, decades. <laughs> this is experience. We, right. we need to celebrate right. this. Right, exactly. Yes. Every so, wrinkle, everything Every is scar, life, right? every wrinkle, yes. yes it's yes. brought us wisdom and experiences right. and stories. But but how did you how did you navigate that whole thing of saying, I'm going to conform in certain places and then I just don't fit in this and I'm going to figure out how to be okay with that. You know, that's quite a journey, as you know, because you've been in those places of ministry where yes, you're like, have. how much do I push it? How much do I really be me? Because even in the work you were doing when you started like in this, in the, you know, sex trafficking, yeah. that was a hard space. Anti-sex trafficking. Anti, yes. right. Yes. At least say that. <laughs> yeah, you weren't that. Anti. Yes. Um, yes. And that's a key word. Yes. Um, I think it's one of those things over time. You have, you know, whether whatever role you're in, you have a lot of voices telling you like what you should do. Are you feel that pressure to conform? Or like I remember growing up in the church, every pastor's wife I knew played the organ or piano or did yep. something like that. 
Yeah. I have no gifts in that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. So I almost didn't marry my husband because I thought, I can't play the piano or, or play the yeah. organ. And the organ, I'm dating myself. And so I thought, I'd be a t- I'll be a terrible pastor's wife because I can't do that. I don't have any outstanding gifts anybody would know about. I'm just me. Yeah. And so for the longest time, I think I struggled with not feeling enough. Mm-hmm. And even in that role. And then I just had to go, people are going to always have their opinions and say things no matter what I do. Mm-hmm. I have to learn to be me and to be okay with me. And so one of the things, even growing up, and I don't know if you had this pressure, like raising your kids, mm-hmm. you have people telling you, you shouldn't do this or should yep. do that. Yep. or Everybody's um, an expert. Yes. Yeah. And so when we were raising our kids, we we didn't have set schedules and stuff because we we're in youth ministry. Yeah. It's chaotic, right? Yeah. And yet I was okay with that. And so Cal and I kind of came to that thing, like if, if we're okay with it together, yeah. and if I look at God and go, God, are you okay? Then we're okay. Then you're okay. But yeah. I had to get to that point. Yeah. And then kind of let the other voices just kind of silence them a little bit. Yeah. Be informed by them, but not let them dominate. Man, I hope anybody who's young who's listening um, can really hear that wisdom in that. Because I think anybody at, at times in your, in your 20s and 30s, uh, you, you feel like I'm not enough. Oh, for sure. Everyone feels for that sure. way. I'm not enough or I don't fit into or I'm into this industry, but I don't really fit with what right. the typical person and, and they have to figure that out. I asked a family friend couple that we spent a lot of time with my wife and I, and they were they were two, three decades ahead of us, two decades ahead of us, I think. And I asked her once, I'm like, if if you could go back, what would you what would you change? Mm-hmm. And she said, really what you're saying, mm-hmm. what you figured out, she said, I would worry a whole lot less about what other people thought yes. and said. Yes. So you you feel like in some ways as you started getting into these edgy things that you were running and, and we're gonna talk about what this amplify piece, this thing that you're involved in now, the part of that was a learning process for you to be okay with this is just how I'm wired. Exactly. You know, you come to a point in life where you're like, I'm okay with who I am. Yeah. Right? I, I don't focus on what I don't have. Yeah. I focus on what God has given me. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I love people. I love connecting with people. I love listening you to do. stories. You do. I love asking questions. I started to learn to ask questions because I didn't like talking about myself. And when people asked me, I didn't like talking. And um, I had an experience where I started opening up with a friend that I thought was a good friend after my mom had died. And um, I was having a really bad day and I generally didn't open up. And I just started, she asked me how I was doing. And I started to really answer the question. And she didn't know what to do with me not being okay because she always seen me as okay. Mm-hmm. And she flipped the conversation. And so I kind of shut down. I'm like, she doesn't care, right? She doesn't really want to know. And from that moment on, I went, people don't really care about how mm-hmm. I feel or what's going on. So I started flipping that where I go, okay, if people don't really care. I'm going to start asking them questions. Yeah. So I started just, and that's, but I've loved that journey of asking people questions and learning from people and their stories. See, that's fascinating, Lisa, because some people could look at, you know, as you're telling a story, some people would look at that and say, well, you, you need to get better at sharing about yourself and miss the fact that because you were concerned about sharing with yourself, you didn't really know how to do it well, or you weren't sure if people cared, you were learning a skill that is so underdeveloped in our world, mm. especially in our culture, wouldn't right. you say? Oh, The skill sure. of listening. For sure. Yeah. Would you yeah. call it a skill? You know what? I, don't, I haven't thought about that because I, but I think you're right. You're I think it's I, something I, you have to. You're saying I just asked a really good question. You did. You just <laughs> asked a really good question. I love that you're leaning on curiosity. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you th- think it's a skill? How many people I'm, ask I'm you questions? I know. I'm going to flip it though. Um, do you find that people ask you a lot of questions? No. Okay. No. 
my wife is amazing at asking questions too. And I, I like asking questions. I'm, I've always been very interested in people too. I don't know how many times we've gone to dinner with a couple or people and we walk away and we know a lot about them and we don't know hardly anything about Absolutely. us. Yep. Yes. Yep. You can That's tell people's life story. That's why I was asking a skill because you don't see most people asking questions or really listening. I've never thought of it that way, but I think when you put it that way, I think it's something I've developed. And I think it is, it possibly is a skill because you don't see a lot of people asking, you don't hear a lot of people asking questions. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. taking the time to listen to them. Right. Do you think some of that comes from maybe a place of empathy or like the reason that you're going to ask about someone else is because you, you may care about them. Like, even if you don't know them, they're a stranger. Right. You're like, well, you have a story and I want to know it. So do you think some of it comes from a, having an empathetic heart? Oh, for people? sure. I'm very curious about people and I love their stories and I learn from their stories and people's stories take me to different places and open up, open up worlds and imaginations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it take me out of a, out of a box. Yeah. I don't like living in a box. And so they take <laughs> that outside that box. Right. Yeah. And I, I find people fascinating. Yeah. You know, we read a book, my wife and I together years ago, and it was, there was a, a character in a fictional book, but there was a character and they called him the noticer because he was always noticing, but he was mm. noticing because he was asking questions. Right. And I've never forgotten. That was probably a decade ago that we right. read that. And I remember being uh, so affected by that where I thought, man, I want to start being recognized as a noticer. That's so good. Isn't that a great? That's so good. Term? You are definitely a noticer. Well, do you find that now that you're aware of that, that you show up differently in conversations? Totally. Right? Totally. If someone would have met me in my 20s and 30s, I was a lot of times the loudest guy in the room and the one that was talking the most. And now I'm sometimes one of the quietest in the room, but I ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And especially one-on-one -on -one right. when I'm with people. But I found that I learned so much more that way. Do you? Oh, for sure. And it makes life a lot more fun. Yeah. Right? Because then people come alive when you start asking them questions because they feel valued and noticed and seen. Right? Mm -hmm. And then they come alive and then you can play off of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, this is a perfect bridge then into so you are actually working with this because we're you talk about this as being a key part of what you're doing now mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. you're part of amplify peace mm -hmm. which you are co-founder of tell right. us a little bit about that so that kind of a, it was a kind of a slow process i was in kind of a season where i you know one part of my life chapter had ended too soon and i was kind of in that space going i don't know what my purpose is i don't know really what i'm passionate about now that i don't have this right and so um i love how god just when you're not expecting it he'll bring somebody or a situation in your life and you're like oh okay what's happening here i had a situation like that i got invited in 2010 to the national prayer breakfast mm -hmm. in washington dc mm -hmm. and because i love experiences and doing new things said yes so cal and i go we were invited to hang out with uh delegates from the Middle East. And so, which I just love, but I knew nothing. I knew, I didn't know who these people were. You know, as a church, we're, we lean into- You weren't the, sitting there speaking Arabic with no, them? No, and, and you know, and I, I, I kind of read up like, you know, how to dress appropriately yeah. and you know, what to do. But I didn't really know who the audience would be. And I came to find out there were a lot of them were leaders in their countries in the Middle East. Wow. Yeah, and, and business people that were very influential. And so I just remember one of my first conversations, having a conversation with a Muslim man talking about Jesus and how much he loved Jesus. And he had tears in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't get tears in my eyes when I talk about Jesus. What is happening here? Right. Yeah. And so I started asking him, so are you a Christian now? And he's like, oh, no, I'm 
am a follower of Jesus. And so that that little conversation was really a catalyst for me going, I don't know a lot, right? And I realized from that whole experience, those few days, that my view of the world had been shaped primarily from my Western Christian American identity mm-hmm. and box, mm-hmm. and that the kingdom of God is so much bigger mm-hmm. and so much more inclusive. Wow. And I had to learn more. Yeah. I There's a lot I didn't know. Yeah. And so it just kind of catapulted me into a, a different journey of like, I've got to start reading some things, meeting with people, breaking, unpacking this. And so I did kind of my own, I guess now you do sort of deconstruction, right? Mm-hmm. Of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that I had grown up with, I had to go, what was really truth and what was really culture? And started just asking these questions. Yes, because I had to give myself permission to do that. And I didn't know anybody else that was really doing that. So I had to start seeking people out. And by talking to different people saying, you should talk to this person, you should talk to this person. And so it led me on a journey of just talking to different people that had been on that same journey. It's difficult sometimes when we do that, right? Because I've been on that journey in the last five years or so. Yes. You're letting go of some things that you held for a long time. And you realize this was more of a cultural or a family thing that I'm holding on to than what we might call truth. Right. Yeah. And how how was it for you? Like, do you feel like you're betraying or like maybe I'm getting it wrong? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. This is why you're really good at this because you keep flipping the script on me. (laughs) (laughs) I want to learn from you too because we're both in this journey. I'm laughing about it, but seriously, like this is why you are doing what you should be doing because (laughs) I'm interviewing you and you keep turning it into interviewing me. (laughs) So you are such a great listener. But no, I I agree. It's it's hard because you do feel like you're betraying some of those things that you held to. Right. I don't even like to tell people where I went to Bible school because they make an assumption then on that's what you would believe then. Right. And because if they if they know the Bible school world, they right. would go, oh, that's your theology then. Right. And the some things have shifted some oh, a little bit. Sure. Like I've looked and gone, I'm not sure I agree anymore that that's what that's saying. So, yeah. Yeah, you're letting go of things that you've held for a long time. Right. So you're on this journey then and you start deconstructing some things. And how did that lead you to Amplify Peace? Well, then as I was meeting people on this journey, people started inviting me to travel, mainly to the Middle East. And I remember um, after the Syrian crisis first hit and a lot of refugees were pouring into uh, Jordan, to Amman, I had met this woman that had worked, um, she was on the board of World Vision, had traveled out to Africa, was involved in the AIDS, um, you know, during the 90s. And we had become friends and she said, hey, I want to learn about what's really happening with this crisis. Would you, I feel like I'm supposed to get on a plane and go over there and just go sit and learn. I know it sounds crazy. Do you want to go? And I said, you had me at crazy. Because it doesn't make (laughs) any sense, right? Yeah. And so she got another, two other women that were leading in organizations. And so four of us women went over there. She set up some meetings with some of the um, nonprofits over there. They were doing the work that were actually in the camps. And so we got to go over there and go into the camps. And they were, this was pretty pretty new, like maybe a year they'd been there. But just to understand uh, the impact on the country, the impact with, and listening to these stories. So we were sitting in tents, listening to these stories from From the youth. refugees? Oh, yeah. Like this one young man who was amazing, and he was in the college in, um, in Syria, about ready to graduate had to flee, didn't bring any identification papers, and now he's stuck in Jordan because he has no identification. 
And I learned if you ever have to flee, you bring your you bring your passport, you bring your you bring ID with you, because mm. he's stuck in a country without an ID. He can't ever travel. And just listening to that story, like realities of what yeah. this really meant. Yeah. And then we started sitting and listening to women in tents that were really, they were talking about how back at home they had two and three cars, they had washing machines, they had all this, and now they're sitting in tents, the little stove in the corner. And I just remember like, I don't know what to do with these stories, but it could be me. Like this, could, why isn't this me? Like I could have been, born and raised in Syria and had to flee and bring my family. And I'm looking at especially these women who no one's really listening to, right? And the children and going, these are the teachers. These are the people I want to learn from because resilience and just how to, how to pivot, how to like, but also how to be the glue and how to go forward yeah. and not be bitter. Because yeah. a lot of them were like, that's, you know, they were just sharing their stories. And I just realized that um, there's a, better way to live yeah. right you used a term that i thought was really interesting you said sit and learn mm -hmm. you said the four of you were going to go and you were just going to sit and learn yes unpack that a little bit like what what, what do you mean we just wanted to go let, let me just pa okay. let me just jump in really quick before i say that because i think a lot of us would go like oh yeah i did that i went to college and i right. that's what i did i sat and learned right because you have a professor teaching sure you. but you're i think you're meaning something a little different than that going in proximity and learning just sitting with them and just asking questions and just observing. So when you know that you're going, your main goal is to learn and to really see what's really happening, what's truth, you go with a different mindset. And you're going from, it's not a textbook, it's real life. And how do you listen to a story and how do you hold that story? That's not right or wrong. So to the point of like deconstruction, we always go to a box of something's either right or wrong, Yeah. right? Yeah. But what if there's the space in gray? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that term because we were we were taught that gray is bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But is gray bad? Yeah. And you're not talking about morality. In no, sense. You're just I'm not. About, How do I hold yeah. two different truths? Right. We wanted to sit and learn because what we were hearing on the news, we wanted to see if that's really reality, like really what's happening over here. Um, and so it was we listened to NGOs. We listened to people that are practitioners in the weeds. We listened to the actual people that were forced from their, you know, from their homeland, listening. How do they feel about it? What what's realities for them? How do they see a future? Right. Mm -hmm. Listening to families being torn apart that maybe never be brought together where parents are sent to one country. Like that young man I told you about, his parents were in another country. He's there. They will probably not ever see each other again because mm -hmm. they can't get visas. Right, because they don't have identification, yeah. and you just start hearing these realities to learn them, to absorb them, to go. I don't know what to do. I got to hold this right, mm -hmm. and um, that just started informing how I was seeing life and how I was seeing people. Yeah. And it yeah. wrecked me. It disrupted me. It sounds like uh, you're describing that, that that most of these things that we try to have simple answers for are far more complex than we right. think. Right. Absolutely. Is that what you're saying? When you Absolutely. sit in proximity and you learn, you start finding yeah. out that there's there's more complexity. Right. Yeah. Right. Way more complexity. Yeah. yeah. What did it teach you this process that you so you've traveled all over the world. So name a few countries you've been to then. Mainly the Middle East and Africa. Okay. I would go to places where of conflict. Yeah. So Lebanon, Sudan, Iraq, Israel, Palestine, um, Egypt, Rwanda. 
South Africa. So I was in Rwanda a couple of times, and I understand just for the audience to set the stage a little bit, when you were there, you're probably dealing, when you talk about peace peacemaking, you're dealing with that genocide that happened in 94 mm -hmm. and almost a million people were killed mm -hmm. in 90 days. But now what you have, and they've had for a few decades now, is someone's having to sit in the village with the man who killed their family. Right. Actually lived next door to each other. Yeah. They did the truth and reconciliation. Yeah. And we actually, when I went with a few, I said, we really wanted to hear from women. And we wanted to hear from victims and perpetrators, if possible. And we did, at sitting next to each other. And I remember this one woman telling the story of her whole family was wiped out. And then she said it was this man sitting next to her. And he just hung his head the whole time she's talking. And then he talked. And then they talked about how they had reconciled, how she had forgiven him. Which, again, do you, what box do you have for that, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. what box? Yeah. And they had to, over a process of years, he was afraid of her. She was afraid of him. You can imagine, right? Because mm -hmm. he knew what he had done to her. She's like, I know what you're capable of. Mm -hmm. And so through this process, these truth and reconciliation things, he owned. And, um, you know, when, when they would, the um, perpetrators, when they would um, say where they buried their victims, they got less time in prison so they could put, you know, for part of the healing for the family. So he did his time. And then when he came out, they put them together and they had to build, help build houses, their homes together. So I say peace was built brick by brick, literally. Yeah. And so they live next door to each other now. And again, you're sitting there listening to them going, I don't have a box for yeah. this kind of forgiveness. This is otherworldly. Mm -hmm. This is, this is Jesus, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. they would say that. Yeah. And again, for our audience, I think there's there's no one that's listening that doesn't have someone who's hurt them, who they've struggled with um, forgiving or bitterness uh, feeling toward them. But then you, you're telling a story and that's what you're saying. How do you hold on to that? Because you're telling a story about someone who this guy actually murdered their family mm -hmm. and go out a couple of years. They're actually building houses together. now, Right. And neighbors. Right. So it just so shows you, need an you that egg and you go over next door and borrow an egg from your neighbor who murdered your family. Right. Wow. Right. Well, and it just there's so many lessons in there to unpack. Right. Yeah. At the power of forgiveness. Yeah. Healing is possible. You don't forget. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, forgiveness isn't forgetting. No, not at all. But there is reconciliation on the other side of that. Yeah. But it comes from a power greater than ourselves, which is Jesus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it just taught me also you can't compare stories. Right. You can't go, well, mine wasn't as bad. You know, every every all of us has issues where mm -hmm. we need to practice forgiveness and where, you know, and so it you personally. So a lot of the work I do as, as you're listening to this, I think it's really important to internalize it because peace starts with us. So as I'm listening to these stories, too, I'm always going, OK, God, where in my own life am I holding where I'm not forgiving? Right. Mm -hmm. Where where is what is my story in this, too? And I think that's really hard, too. It's hard to look inside. Absolutely. But I really believe you can't give away what you don't own. And so if I'm going to say I'm a peacemaker, I have to practice it first. Mm -hmm. I have to own it before I can encourage others to be in the journey, too. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. I love what you just said. I can't give away what I don't own. Right. So you're working with peacemaking. But right. if you're not dealing with that, which is messy again, right? We get back oh, to the, it's complicated justice messy. issues forgiveness, peacemaking, those are really messy things. It's like an onion. You take right. off a layer, there's another layer, there's another layer, there's another layer, right? And right. that's what you're finding, discovering right. with that. Right. Yeah. What was the hardest part about internalizing all of these things? 
realizing that I'm capable too of some of these things. I think all of us are one decision away from making a bad decision, right? And then just our humanity taught me a lot about our humanity and our need for divinity, for God, right, in this world. Um, and I think just, you know, being honest with myself, it's hard to be honest with ourselves. We want to give ourselves um, a lot of credit, a lot of grace, right? And I think that is important, excuse me, but I also think that you have to be willing to be honest about what's inside of ourselves. Yeah. Right? You know, I don't know, you might have seen me smile a little bit when you said I realized I was capable when I was walking through the Genocide Museum in Kigali, Rwanda. And that was in that, I mean, there's no words for that and either. And it hit me. Like, I just got goosebumps right now sitting here. It just, I remember I was in one of those, you know, looking at these horrific pictures of what neighbors did to neighbors. And mm -hmm. I mean, neighbors who had been friends for yes. years. And it hit me how quickly that me as a human could move into that. And if I don't believe it, all I have to do is read history. It's happened again and oh, again. Oh, sure. It happened in Rwanda. It's happening right now in countries. It happened in Germany in the 30s and 40s. And so what you're saying about us not really willing to be honest with ourselves, it's so true. I mm -hmm. don't like to admit mm -hmm. that, that I could I could be that really easily. Right. History has proven that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. We want to say I'm better than that. But given the right circumstances and the right opportunity... Could I? Yeah. I think those are questions we need to wrestle with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, how would I show up? Or where I would have been? And I look at a lot of these things like um, in any situation, whether it's a racial narrative and, you know, in the civil rights or it's the genocide. If I was actually in that place, would I have actually shown up mm -hmm. and been a part of stuff? And that's a really hard question because I don't know that I can answer that definitively. Like, I oh, yeah, know I would. That we can, because, right? no. Oh. And I, so then that motivates me today going, where are the places I should be showing up that I'm not? Oh, Lisa, that's good. Right? Yep. That's a hard one. Because if I think I'm going to show up when it's my life's on the line, right. But I'm not showing up in the, maybe the smaller things yes. that, that I'm being asked to do. Yes. Right? Right. Yeah. So what uh, we talked about this a little bit before we turn the mics on. What's the difference between between peacemaking and peacekeeping? Those are two words that we throw around a lot, but there's a difference. Huge difference. And that's a, such a good question, because I think we always say, oh, I'm doing peacemaking. To me, peacemaking is um, just perpetuating more of the status quo. I mean, peacekeeping. Peace, peacekeeping. Peace, yeah. keeping. It's just perpetuating more of the status quo. Right. I'm going to I'm going to be a keeper of peace. We're just going to keep it. We're not going to rattle anything. We're not going to disrupt anything. We're not going to disturb. We're just going to okay, keep I, the peace. Can I pop? Because I want you to keep going, but I don't want, I want to make sure our audience understands. We're not now necessarily talking. When you start talking about this, we don't necessarily have to talk about racial recognition or, no. uh, or reconciliation or, um, you know, two countries at war. We might be talking about you as a husband and a wife think your or family friends or think family siblings. and friends yes right yes so in this context think family and friends not okay. a cause not a yep. you know but so um, peacekeeping is just we're just trying to keep the status quo we may have a dysfunctional keep... family but we're going to keep being dysfunctional because it'll be less there won't be conflict or right feel, right that's right. it we're not going to deal with real problems we're not going to get in the messiness of it we're just going to keep the peace which is shallow and it's covering, it can cover up things, right, that need to be brought to the surface, mm -hmm. which peacemaking is very uncomfortable, it's messy, it's disruptive, but it also is transformational. Peacekeeping is not so transformational. 
it's more transactive, right? Ooh, so peacekeeping is transactive. Peacemaking is transformational. Yeah, that's how I that's how I would see it. Yeah, because what I've learned through the journey um, is peace is beautiful. Who doesn't want peace, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But peacemaking can be brutal. Yeah, and I think to your what you've done over the years, um, you've you've you have scars of being a peacemaker. Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, you're getting into those places of injustice, of oppression. Yeah. yeah. But even yeah. just the messiness with relationships, right? And it's it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah, for sure. Peacekeeping is the easier way to do it. Oh, for sure. But but we confuse that. That's why I really wanted you to unpack that because I think that a lot of times we think we're being peacemakers, but we're really just being peacekeepers. Keepers. And it's really good to evaluate am I right. peacekeeping or peacemaking here? Because right. peacekeeping is really kicking the problem just down the road, right? Because it's yes. eventually going to come out. Oh, for sure. I'm like, I don't want to deal with it. We're just going to keep the peace, just keep the status, what is, yeah. right? We're not going to get in and confront or dive into and challenge anything. We're just going to maintain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we think that's a good thing a lot of times. Sometimes it can be. There's moments you have to know when is the right moment, right? To mm -hmm. disrupt or mm -hmm. get in there. But overall, if all you say is I'm just a peacekeeper, yeah. you're not really challenging things, right? You're yeah. not really creating transformation. Isn't it interesting? You you unpack the difference between peace, peacekeeper and peacemaker. And I think that we go back 2000 years to someone who we both think very highly of. Um, maybe some of our listeners have heard of this guy named Jesus. And he gives <laughs> this longest recorded message that we have on mm -hmm. the side of this hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And he gives this list, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the, but he doesn't, he says, blessed are the peace makers. Doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Right. Probably not an accident on his right. part, right? And so was Jesus a peacekeeper or was he a peacemaker? Oh, a peacemaker. Right. There's nowhere he said, just be okay with the status quo. Yeah. He challenged all the yeah. time. Yeah. He was a peacemaker. And ended up on a cross. That's why it's costly. Covered. Yeah. Peacemaking is costly. Yeah. Yeah. So why would you do it? Because I have to. Because I believe in the core of my being. That's a calling. That's part of my identity as a peacemaker. And I believe it's the way of Jesus. Yeah. I believe it's the way of the gospel. Do you think all of us are called to that? I do. Yeah. Why? Because I think that's the heart of God is to, you know, peace started in the garden. And we're the shalom of God, the wholeness, the completeness, right? And then we, we know the story. Then sin entered and there's a separation. But I think God is saying, I want shalom for you. Mm -hmm. I want that wholeness, what I intended in the garden. and that has been broken. I want peacemakers to return to that place. Mm -hmm. I want people that are willing to try to make this world, trying to be part of the transformation to usher in shalom mm -hmm. again, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think we're called to be peacemakers, yeah. to, yeah. you know, to try to get us back to the garden, right? Yep. Where yeah. shalom first reigned. Shalom is, again, for our listeners, it's a Hebrew word, right? And it's one of my favorite. When you go over to the Middle East and Israel, yeah. especially, you know, the shalom is the right. way they say goodbye. They say hello on, right. on the Sabbath, shalom, Shabbat, right? Right. Shabbat shalom. But that's a that's a deep, deep word if deep you start word. unpacking it in, in the, with the Hebrew meaning of it. It's mm -hmm. more than just when we think of peace in the English language, a lot of times we think of an absence of conflict, right? Like right. if my wife and right. I are at peace, it means that we're not fighting. There's an absence right. of conflict. Right. But shalom is much, much deeper than that. Correct? Much deeper. Yeah. Oh, really? It's well. Again, it's going into 
the messy places, the hard places, right? Because you have to deal with the injustices, right? You have to deal with those places that are of separation. Yeah. To bring healing. Yep. Shalom is bringing healing. Yeah. And I think God is looking for his people to be healers yeah. and reconcilers and um, and forge the way of forgiveness and love. Yeah. You guys have three words that you use for your Amplify Peace, right? We, we to, do. What, what are those three? So we have a framework of these three words that really frame the work we do, everything. And we break them down in different ways. But they're how do we posture ourselves as, first of all, listeners, to truly listen, to sit and listen, to put ourselves in a place of, um, I'm not the expert coming in. I need to listen to you. I'm not always the teacher. That Some of our best teachers are the ones we are not listening to, right? They're the women in the refugee camps. They're the unsheltered people sitting in our communities. They're my neighbor across the street. Um, whoever that is, who do I know their story? How can I listen to them? Um, and then posturing ourselves as learners. Like, how do I lean in with curiosity to go, there is more to the story. There's more to learn. Um, I do not know it all, mm. right? Again, I, I need to learn. Yep. I need to come yep. in here not telling people and not leading a conversation with my opinion, mm -hmm. but come in to learn. Yeah. And then if we posture ourselves as listeners and learners, then it should inform us to live differently. So our three words are listen, learn, and live. Yeah. How do I live differently as a result of this? Like, what do I need to change within myself? And it might be, I need to forgive somebody. I need to forgive a family member. I need to forgive a neighbor. I need to forgive a coworker. Maybe that's where it starts, right? Yeah. How would you say practically, or give some practical advice to me in the audience on how do we get better at listening? Because when you give those three words, I think, you know, and it's, I, I love that the order of those, because it starts with listening, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's something that, again, we, we really aren't taught. Few of us ever went to a class on listening. Right, right. Other than we have to sit in class and listen the whole right. time. But no one's really taught us right. how to listen well. Listen to understand. Right. Right? Listen longer than is comfortable. Be in that space, right? Just to go, I am not here to talk. I can share a few things. And it's not that you go mute. It's just like, am I really listening to to learn? Mm -hmm. Am I really listening to that person to validate them? When we when I leave this conversation with them, do they feel valued and seen? That's kind of part of my thing too, because then I've listened to them. You know. So okay, that's great practical advice. So if they leave the table and they feel valued, they feel like they have dignity because of the way that you listened and the questions you asked. You would say that's a sign that you listened well. I would think that's one. Uh, that's part yeah, of the, yeah. That's good. Well, and it's what you said earlier about the noticer, because yeah. you have that word in your in your mind, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're going into a conversation, it frames how you show up. Mm -hmm. So if you tell yourself, "I'm going to be a listener in this conversation," it changes how you show up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you remind yourself, and then I think if you're a listener, you're going to give eye contact. Like I'm physically going to show up differently. I'm going to give eye contact. Um, because you know, if somebody's talking to you and they're always looking around, mm -hmm. you're like, they're not really listening to me. Yeah. And we've all been in conversations constantly where you, you pick up, they're not really listening. Yeah. Right. I understand that, which is why when we were just talking in the lobby, I had to apologize <laughs> to you five times. I'm watching the door over there because if they shut it, we can't get in. Right. Right. And I watched very closely right. and I kept looking away because I know you, it's telling you, I'm not really listening to right. you if I'm glancing over there. 
And I still missed it, didn't I? Because we got locked out. We got locked out, right <laughs> out. And then out. you had me watching all the time. <laughs> yes. We were both, either one of us were listening to each other. Well, it tells somebody you're distracted. Yes. Right? Yes. So how do I show up? And I'm like, I want you to feel like you're the most important person in this room right now. Yeah. Right? That nothing else matters. And you know what's really hard for me is because I have FOMO. I feel like feel, you know, the fear of missing out, yeah. right? Yeah. And so if I'm in a room where there's a lot of activity. Yeah. I want to be watching it, right? Like, what am I missing? Who is going on? So if I'm in a conversation with somebody, I have to tell myself, focus, yeah. focus, focus. Because yeah. my tendency is to go, oh my gosh, what are they doing over there? Yeah. That, that looks really fun and interesting, right? Which is telling the person that you're supposed to oh, be listening to. Oh, right. Really like, yeah. yeah. You know who modeled this so well for me? In my 20s, I was a teacher and a coach. And the principal of the school that I taught at, I soon found out the guy was busy beyond what I can imagine. I mean, just the issues that a principal would administrator of a school would have to deal with. But when you walked in, when I would walk in his office, he had his computer screen like this and, you know, he'd be working on his computer screen and I would walk in and I would sit down and he would do this. He would turn his screen and then he would turn toward me wow. and he would look at me. I've never forgotten. Wow. That. I mean, that was decades ago. And That's I still, amazing. I noticed how he was telling me, you're the important thing right now. Right. So that's what you're saying is yes. our body language, the way yes. that we uh, are focused on someone right. speaks highly on whether we're listening. And it's hard. And it, it, it starts with awareness, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Am I aware of how I'm showing up right now? Yeah. Right. What, so, so again, that, that takes work, takes energy. Why is it worth it? Like, again, for me in the audience, you're saying, I, you know, you're saying practically, if you become a better listener, it's going to take you a long ways. Why? Because people are worth it. People matter. Relationships matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, it's relationships. Yeah. It's people. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's not all the doing. Right. Yeah. It's just being. So I cyber stalked you before this. Uh oh. Okay. So let me just read a few things that I saw in different places where you were speaking or it was, was one of the times it was a, I think it was the title of your talk. Okay. or something that you had written. Um, so let me just read them, and then you gave uh, some com commentary on it. You did a talk. Title was War, Risk, or, or sorry, um, Waging Peace in a Hostile World. Waging Peace in a Hostile World. That caught my attention right away, because usually when we use the word waging, the next word is... War. Yeah, waging <laughs> war. So you titled it Waging Peace in a Hostile World. It is kind of like going to war. <laughs> waging peace, right? Because uh, it's hard. And it takes, you know, everything that you, you do and going to war and, and we're so wired for war more. I got to fight for my rights, fight for this. Right. But what if we took that same energy toward peace? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we just we use those terms waging, but we use it because there's power in peace. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and we see that peace. That's what we need in our world right now. Yeah, For sure. Right. And for it sure. is a hostile world yeah. on many levels. And it's the great hope of the future for anybody who's a person of faith. That's that's the promise. Is right. There's going to be shalom. Oh, peace. for sure. Like that's the whole thing. The prophets wrote about it when they were foreseeing what was going to happen in the future. They were saying there's there's the peace. And how do they describe it? Well, it's where the lion and the lamb are laying down right. together and where the little child is playing next to the cobra's nest and the parents are freaking out because there's shalom and it's affected every part of this universe. Right. Right. Physical, spiritual, emotional, social, beautiful day to think about. Okay, here's a quote that you had. Peacekeeping is tempting but destructive. Peacemaking is difficult but rewarding. You just talked about it a little mm -hmm. bit. I did. I, I just think that what matters, right? Think about what really matters. And peace matters. Mm -hmm. And that holistic peace, that um, getting in and being willing to create change, 
and to disrupt things because mm-hmm. peace is disruptive mm-hmm. because, you know, it's easy to go to war, to fight. I mean, that kind of is our tendency, mm-hmm. right? You've got to fight for our rights. got to fight for this. And sometimes there is. got to do that. But a lot of times it's got to fight for peace too. Yeah, yeah. Because to me, fighting for peace is fighting for people. Fighting for peace is fighting for people. Right. You know, when I put that in the context again, when I take it away, because sometimes it's too abstract to think about like it is peace abstract. between countries. But when I put that in context of with my wife. Right. So when I'm fighting for peace in our marriage, I'm fighting for her. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When I'm fighting for peace with my children, I'm fighting for them. When right. I'm fighting for peace with right. my neighbor whose dog is barking again. Right. I'm fighting for him. Right. In a sense. That's what makes it saying. personal, right? Yeah. Because like you said, abstract, you hear numbers, you know, 8 billion people on the planet, right? And there was, you know, hundreds of thousands or, you know, and you, you our minds can't yeah, wrap around yeah. that number. Yeah. It's just too big. Yeah. But when I go, but a name or this group of people, then it's personal. Yeah. Yeah. It's personal. And then I'll do something. Yeah. Because it's personal. Because it's personal. Something. Yes. Yeah. Which we were talking about before that that is why Mother Teresa would always say, come and see. That's right. she's, she's known for that. Because she's like, you can't understand this unless you and use the word proximity. Or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Come and see. You have to get in proximity. So mm-hmm. if you want to know someone's life, you have to get in proximity to them. You have to come and see. You have to mm-hmm. come and learn from them. And touch. I mean, the thing we learned from Mother Teresa and Jesus, touch people. Mm-hmm. Touch the untouchables. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's hard. Yep. But that's kind of what peacemakers do. Yep. They feel it. They know it. Yeah. They see it. One of my favorite passages is after Jesus gives that longest a message that we have mm-hmm. recorded message comes off the mountain Matthew chapter 8 you probably know the story there's a uh, man with leprosy untouchable disease right and there's a little tiny line in there that most people will mix, miss because he's like if you're willing you can heal me and it says and he reached out and touched him and mm-hmm. healed him he didn't need to touch him to heal him not we at know all that. he healed other people with that with a word yeah with mm-hmm. the word or sometimes from a distance right so that uh, that has always stood out to me that's what you're saying so mm-hmm. listening and touching and it, like you're getting in contact with right. people, really, when you're doing right. this, right? How do people find out about what you're doing or connect with you? Yes, AmplifyPeace.com. Okay. Yeah, I'd love people to join us and to share their stories yeah. and um, be a part of kind of a movement. I, and, and I don't even like movement, but just how could God use you, mm-hmm. right, in this in our world today? Because we need peacemakers. Yeah, we do. We need peacemakers desperately. And especially in the times we're coming into um, – with you know an election coming up in 2024 um the church needs peacemakers the community the world needs peacemakers people show up differently in my lifetime i don't think i've seen our country as torn apart as it has been Mm -hmm. since covid started hitting over the politics over how you handle something like that Mm -hmm. even within the church right and i suppose as a pastor's wife you saw this too sure this tearing apart and the splitting. So I agree with you. In my lifetime, I just can't see a more important time mm-hmm. that we've needed peacemaking. Everything has been dividing us. Mm-hmm. And we saw that through the pandemic, right? Every decision created division, especially in the church. Yep. You appeased one group, but you alienated another. Mm-hmm. And we just saw that in, in the church and outside the church. And what if there's just a, a better way a different way, right? A peace. What is, what is the way of peace say? It's like, I'm not going to hold you to my standards, right? I'm going to go, I'm going to hold. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hold this, right? Because I'm going to honor you as a person. I'm going to treat you with dignity and respect because you're created in the image of God, just like me. 
Yeah. Right. That's a great one to end on right there. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Well, Lisa, one of the things we do on the podcast is I'm telling you, this is kind of fun and ironic. You prepared me. Yes, I prepared you because we've known each other for 15 years, so I don't think you're going to be able to stump me. So two truths and a lie. And this is ironic because we call no gray areas, you know, and yet I'm saying lie to me. But see if the audience, (laughs) they've heard you now for about 45 minutes. We're going to find out if you can stump the audience, two truths and a lie. You know what? This is always so hard to figure it out, right? And I want to hear your two truths of the light. Oh, I don't have two truths of the light. Oh, I sure you do. You right now. Sure you do. Yeah. I didn't have time to think about it. My wife was on our podcast recently. You know how hard it was for us to come up with two truths and a lie for each other, try to stump oh each gosh. other? Oh, my gosh. We've known each other since sixth grade. So Did you stump each other at all? She got me. Uh, I lost. You she, lost? Yeah. She figured mine out. But but we had our, we had to have our son help us because we couldn't figure it out. Right? It's yeah. really a hard it's, thing it, to do. It is. It's, right. I'm glad that you don't lie easily and naturally. No, I try not yeah. to. Good. 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 <laughs> no, it was hard to do it. Okay. So I've been shipwrecked. Okay. I've met President Biden. Okay. And I've been held at gunpoint. Ooh, those are good. Shipwrecked? You met President Biden. You've held at gunpoint. I can see all three of those happen to you because you, you've gone into the hard places. I'm going to say that you've been held at gunpoint because of where you've been. And I'm going to say you've met President Biden. It's the shipwrecked, I'm going to say, is a lie. Wrong. Oh! <laughs> You're so happy. You're so happy. I love it. Yes. That's so good. So you so were shipwrecked. We actually were. This is, a, this is a funny story. So we took a group to Greece and Turkey. Yeah. And, you you know, you kind of, you're going to, and it's it's a ship, but it's not like our cruise ships, right? Yeah. So the ship, it was really funny. It's coming into the island of Crete. And when we were coming in, it hit the dock at a bad angle because the waters were rough. And it took out a gouge in the side of the boat. So we had to dock there for a day and a half so yeah. they could repair the boat. Yeah. So we were shipwrecked yeah. on Crete. In Crete. <laughs> not a bad place <laughs> to be shipwrecked. like Paul, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a bad place. All right, so which one was the lie? Um, Biden? So I, and... Biden is a lie. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. You've met a lot of famous people, but I'd actually met Trump before twenty yeah. years ago at yeah. something. Yeah. Which see, that was that was good because you threw in there earlier the national prayer breakfast. Right. Where you're meeting dignitaries right. from around the world. Right. So then you toss this one yeah. in and I'm like, okay, yeah. you probably met him too. Yeah. No. Nice. Good. Yeah. You got me. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. It's great to reconnect with you. And man, I appreciate so much what you're doing and the practical advice that you gave us Mm. to become peacemakers, not peacekeepers, but peacemakers. Right. So thank you. Thank you. Wow. That was amazing with Lisa Jernigan. She gave us a lot of nuggets of truth to really brew on. Like, how do we forgive? Not necessarily forget, but how do we forgive? How do we be peacemakers versus peacekeepers? And so if you have any comments about being peacemakers, if you have any questions or comments about how to forgive, uh, email us at info at And remember to follow, like, and subscribe.